Today, we continue our series in the book of 1 Peter, entitled Rumors of Hope. And Jesus' resurrection started a rumor that went viral in the first century. Whispers spread that new life was possible through Jesus Christ, a marginalized Jew put to death by the Romans in an effort to stop the movement he started. And no one could fully explain the empty tomb, um, eyewitness accounts of his resurrected body, or the zeal of his followers. According to the rumor, Jesus' sacrificial death covered personal sin, and his resurrected life promised new life, and anyone placing their faith in him received eternal life, a quality of life lived now into eternity. With all the silly conspiracies going around right now, like QAnon uh, or the deep state, um, as well as a viral video, Plandemic, it's called, uh, that claims the pandemic was created by powerful forces for monetary and political gain. Why isn't Peter's rumor viral? It's a shame that there isn't more interest because humanity continues to struggle with the same issues that the gospel addresses sin and salvation, meaning and significance, life and death. Why aren't people interested in what makes this life and the next life meaningful? Well, the fact is that this rumor of hope, the gospel, requires evidence to go viral. And in this passage, Peter reveals the proof that this rumor of hope is true. It's revealed in an otherworldly kind of love. It's called agape love, God's love that moved him to save us in the first place. And the proof is practiced by followers of Christ obediently expressing God's love. When Christians express sincere love, the gospel goes viral. There's evidence for the living hope found in Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 3, we see revealed that with hope set on grace, in reverent fear, we may love with sincere love from the heart, replacing old appetites with new ones. Let's look at the passage. First of all, with hope set on grace, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, Peter uses a series of imperatives as he begins here. He says, be alert, be fully sober, set your hope, um, which is essentially grammatical yelling. He's, he's excited here, and he urges them to put away distractions that hinder growth in grace. Minds that are alert, literally translated, is gird up the loins of your mind. And girding loins is a vivid metaphor from the ancient Near East of workers prepared for action, having hitched up their flowing robes so as not to be impeded. When the Jews celebrated their first Passover in the wilderness after deliverance from Egypt, God gave them instructions to, from Exodus 12, verse 11, eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, this is a picture of, of readiness. There's a promised land ahead, 
And for Peter's readers, uh, the promised land uh, was, was, was right there. It was grace through Jesus Christ, and it deserved their full attention. And while preparing their minds to be fully alert, being self-controlled uh, is, is more about focus. It's, a fully sober is more than avoiding drunkenness. It's about being attentive, about not being distracted by shiny objects or passing fads. Sobriety, in this sense, is the result of steady habits that magnify grace, habits like unceasing prayer or dwelling with Scripture, reading and dwelling with it, um, and and Christian community. Self-controlled, single-minded vision is essential to set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is Peter's message to them. And this grace is being brought presently, a present idea. It's flowing now, and it will continue until Jesus returns. God is faithful. God doesn't abandon us to our circumstances. So Peter is saying that we can live with gratitude for mercy's past, with resolution to meet the challenge of the present, with certain hope that in Christ, the best is yet to come. Look at 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, one of the joys of having children is trying to figure out who they look like. I'm thankful that one of my hopes um, that my own children would look more like their mother than me, uh, for the most part, was fulfilled. However, a more important question is, who do they act like? And so adopted into a, a new family, a Christian's behavior should reflect a new identity that is radically different from pre-conversion days because God has rebirthed us and he is holy and any child of his uh, will act like him. Before coming to Christ out of ignorance, um, the, the manner of life, their manner of life was governed by their senses, Peter says, and conformed to the pattern of this world. And no longer could they flow with the host culture. Uh, distinctions had to be made, and a different voice followed. The Apostle Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 where he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, just the way that things go in, go, go, the way that things go in our cultural context, in our society. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so all believers have a BC before Christ's life, um, but now also in A.D. and Anno Domini and after Christ's life. And these two must be fundamentally different. As we've seen thus far, 1 Peter was written to Christians experiencing traumatic disruptions just like us. And Peter writes to those living in exile from somewhere in exile. How could they be faithful to God in their new circumstances? Could they reimagine life with God in their strange new world? For us, just a few months ago, our lives were a certain way of working, worshiping, 
uh, of just living our lives, and all that has changed. Now we're aligned with generations of Christians finding new ways to follow Jesus in the midst of dynamic change. How can we be in the world, but not of the world? How can we live in submission to the authorities while maintaining loyalty to God? Well, Peter says we must set our hope on grace and then live as strangers in reverent fear. Look at first at, at first Peter chapter one, verse 17. It says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, we might think that we are special, um, and God thinks that we're special. Um, However, we're special just like everyone else, (laughs) and so we shouldn't expect any kind of partiality from from God. Grace doesn't remove our responsibility uh, for the life he's given us, and we set our hope on grace, yet live as strangers in reverent fear, taking this responsibility, remembering that it is God, not society and not those around us with whom we ultimately deal. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So there will be this evaluation that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is accountability. And since we have this special relationship with God, we are called to live as strangers in the present world, a pilgrim life that reflects our travel in his world. We're careful not to become too embroiled with worldly affairs or lose sight of our true vocation or our true home. And during the pandemic, there is an endless array of articles and information relentlessly pumped through media that could easily dominate our day. I confess that there have been some days that I have read too much of this stuff and afterwards have noted that emotionally and in so many ways, I'm just down because how do those things shape our hope or how do they equip us for our true vocation as Christians? Reverent fear, being reminded of responsibility to God It reminds us that grace may be free, uh, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The Greek word translated redeemed in this passage goes back to the institution of slavery and refers to a person released through payment. Any representative first century church would include a number of slaves. It's estimated that up to 60% of the Roman Empire consisted of indentured people. People became slaves in various ways, through war, bankruptcy, um, You could sell yourself into slavery, or your parents could. Uh, Some people were born into slavery. And slaves normally 
could look forward to freedom after a period of service um, and or a payment of a price paid by the slave or someone else. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it states, the son of man came to serve and to give his life as a, it's translated ransom, which means literally payment, as a payment for in the place of many. So a substitutionary payment. So the price of redemption was the blood of an innocent man, a spotless lamb. And Jesus' death fulfilled the meaning of the Passover sacrifice referenced in this passage, which demanded a lamb without blemish or defect. Animal sacrifice offered a picture of what was required. Uh, and this was the, the purpose of the ritual until the fullness of time God sent his son into the world. And Jesus' blood is precious. Uh, the root means uh, of this word means watched. It's, it's really translated tested. And so Jesus' blood has been tested. It's been found uh, reliable, valuable, precious. And unlike their former way of life, Jesus' blood has been checked out and found reliable to supply the riches of grace that silver and gold cannot attain. Christ's redemptive work delivered them from their past, which Peter describes as an empty lifestyle, a broken way of life. Let's go on to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, He was chosen, Jesus, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now, Peter is getting at the purpose of God now made plain. Christ was chosen for this role before the world's foundation was laid. It, it was not an afterthought hastily produced in order to remedy a situation that had gone unexpectedly wrong. Peter's prayer recorded in Acts chapter 4 recounted how Herod and Pontius Pilate had conspired to kill Jesus. Uh, but ultimately, as Peter prayed, he said, God, but you, it was by your power and it was your will that had decided beforehand what should happen. And so God hadn't lost control of things. And Christ's violent death on the cross was no accident, but part and parcel of God's controlling purpose. And Peter's generation is privileged to be living in these last times, in the unfolding of God's salvation plan that has culminated in the coming of God's Messiah, and, and so are we. He was revealed for your sake. Uh, the purpose of Christ coming into the world was to benefit them, to benefit us, to benefit the whole world. And God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And so we may fix our hope on grace and live in reverent fear, confidently waiting on God and what he has in store for the future. All of this sets us up for the heart of this passage, which we'll get to in verse 22. With hope set on grace, living as strangers in reverent fear, Peter says, so that you may have sincere love from the heart, so that you may love deeply from your heart. That's the purpose. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22 it says, now you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply 
from the heart. Now, hope set on grace, living in reverent fear, and obeying the truth has purified Peter's readers and prepared them to express sincere love. And the sacrifice of Christ is the greatest expression of love and liberates us to express the same kind of love, God's love, sincere love. The gospel's ultimate goal is for us to express sincere love to God and others. It's seen in the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then to love others as ourself. The term translated sincere, this passage, means literally not hypocritical. It has the idea of love that is unfeigned, undisguised, it's genuine. Uh, it's not wearing a mask. Um, it comes from that time when ancient actors wore masks on stage to represent some fictitious character. So there's no mask that is up. There's always danger that we pretend like an actor um, in expressions of love instead of actual affection. But sincere love is original. Sincere love is real. It's not reactive. It's not responsive, which makes it pure. It isn't retributive. It isn't earned. It's one way and comes despite the quality, the attitude, or the behavior of the object. This is the only way that God could have loved us and changed us. It's with this kind of love. Literally, Peter says to love one another with deep size, deeply. Deep size is the literal translation. Deep size from the heart. And a deep sigh, if you think about it, reveals a, a depth of feeling and care. Oh. Um, and maybe especially when we try to love someone in a, in a, when we're loving someone in a sincere way and we're re rebuffed. Uh, sincere love is, it's, it's just a crazy love um, because it's so otherworldly. There's no what's in it for me in this love. It's God's love. Now, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, which, unlike the English language, is very specific about love. There are five words uh, at least, used to describe different loves. Epithemia may be translated desire or appetite. It's the first one. And it references a physical desire. I love ice cream. I want ice cream. Eros, um, from which we get the English word erotic, references romantic or sexual love uh, with a powerful identification between two people. So to use eros to express love for ice cream would be, well, weird. Now, storge is affection or a sense of belonging shared by family members. It's a feeling of comfort and security, a feeling of home, storge. Phileo reflects friendship and companionship, uh, occupied with common interests and activities. Uh, this love is a product of mutual interests. And then agape, and agape is a term used by Peter in this passage. Agape is the highest form of love, consisting not of feelings and emotions, but of will and choice that ultimately lead to a lot of feelings and emotions. Agape is a willful choice to put another's interests above one's own. And this love is the steady intention of the will to another's highest good. In the New Testament, agape is used for the unconditional, self-sacrificing, and volitional love God revealed in his son, Jesus. Agape is God's love, and it's reflected in some of Jesus's harder sayings in the New Testament. 
Uh, Agape is love your enemies, love. Agape is do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you, love. Agape is pray for those who mistreat you, love. Agape is if someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic, love. Agape is love those who don't love you back, love. Agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. Agape love does not envy or boast. It's not proud of itself. Agape love isn't rude or self-seeking. It isn't easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape was a word used in classical Greek literature uh, long before the New Testament elevated it into something very, very different. Very, very different from how the gods of the ancient Greek pantheon would ever practice love. Uh, It wasn't conditional or retributive, but it was unconditional. It wasn't self-seeking, but self-sacrificing. Agape, God's love for us, expressed in the life of Christ. And through God's unconditional love, we as human beings may reciprocate in kind. We are not the source of this love. Agape love transforms relationships because it's incorruptible from an imperishable source. It's not us. But yet, through God's love in our lives, then God makes it possible for us to channel this very same love. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 uh, through 25, says this. Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And so this love is incorruptible. It's incorruptible in the life of a believer because we've been born again through an incorruptible seed. Um, And that incorruptible seed is the seed of the word of God, the gospel. And the quotation from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, it reveals the enduring character of God's word. Seasons come and seasons go, but God's word never fades in significance. And all that makes humanity proud, beauty, strength, wealth, honor, art, education, learning, virtue, achievement— is but a blade of grass and nothing more. And in the hot Near Eastern sun, it dries up, falls off really fast. (laughs) But God's word remains. We have been born of incorruptible seed by means of God's living word. And this is what constitutes us as foreigners, as exiles, because we have a new family and a new home. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the fantastic vision that moved God to send Jesus to enter humanity, to live, die, and be raised again in it and for it, provides the way for us to love. Sincere love, it proves that the rumor of hope is true. God's love transforms our hearts so that we can love each other from the heart deeply and truly. With hope set on grace and reverent fear, we love with sincere love from the heart 
while replacing old appetites with new ones. And this is how Peter closes this passage. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Replacing old appetites with new ones. Look at verse 1. Therefore, Peter says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. All right, we'll stop there. Now, in order to love with God's love, we must work to replace old appetites with new ones, and it requires our effort for grace to produce. Now, it sounds strange to talk about our effort when we think about grace, and truly there is nothing we can add to what God has done. However, God has done this so that we could do that. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love, that's our part, because he first loved us. That's God's part. And that catalyzed our love. And so God has loved us first, and now we have a response and a responsibility to love. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. The description of Christ's self-emptying and taking on humanity in order to save it. Just a beautiful, moving passage uh, that moves directly into a call to work out our salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The term translated work out has the idea of working in or working up. It's the, it's the image of a farmer in his field, uh, removing rocks and weeds and tilling and seeding the soil to produce a crop. And this is a picture of our salvation. God has planted an incorruptible seed that must be farmed in order to produce. For us to love others with God's love sincerely from the heart, we need to rid our soil of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, anything that chokes the seed. Uh, these, are, these reflect hearts of stone from the old covenant that have been replaced in the new covenant by hearts of flesh. Uh, all deceit or guile, this, this term uh, was used uh, for bait to catch fish. So deceiving others to their hurt, but to our advantage, well, that blocks sincere love. It won't produce that. Defaming folks, running them down, blocks sincere love. Baseness, meanness, all good for nothingness blocks sincere love. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, in, in the first Peter passage we've been looking at, the, the, the phrase reverent fear reflects the same. Fear and trembling, reverent fear, um, we work out our salvation by removing these rocks that trip, trip us up and, and blunt the plow. Our treatment of others is immediate evidence of our relationship with God. Going on to verses 2 and 3, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, these were not all new converts that Peter writes to. He'd been working in these provinces, as had the Apostle Paul for years. 
and churches had formed throughout the region. But Peter wants everyone, whether beginners or veterans in new life in Christ, to act as just-born babes longing to be nourished with the word. The only food a newborn babe wants is mother's milk. God wants us to have an insatiable appetite for the sincere milk of the word. Um, Peter references Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, straight from the cow. Now, sometimes we, we read more books about the Bible, about the book, than the book itself. We need to read the source document, the scriptures, because that is the incorruptible seed. And that promise is, is directed to the scriptures that God has provided for us. This is sustenance to grow into salvation. Uh, the word of the Lord stands forever. Sincere, unconditional, selfless love. It requires a different appetite, a whole different palate. We lose our appetite for the flesh so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good, nourished by the mother's milk of the word that produces love. As we close. Now, Peter wants us to start a rumor that goes viral, a rumor about an otherworldly kind of love that moved God and moves us. And in the doldrums of this shutdown, <clears throat> in the midst of our exile, like Christ followers before us, may we prove the rumor that the gospel is true. And may we give evidence by expressing the love that moved God to love us. <clears throat> may we take delight in living a new life that opposes the world's way of love, the what's in it for me love, self-seeking and demanding. May we light little fires with our love that grow into bonfires of light and warmth in your family with your friends, on your Zoom calls, in your socially distant conversations. May you pioneer new paths of grace in relationships, rehearsed and fueled and immersed in God's love expressed to you, for you, and in you, in Jesus Christ. So where is your hope today? What are your goals for today? Peter's message is clear. This is God's will for you, with hope set on grace, responsible to God, love others deeply, sincerely from your heart. 